Welcome to 519 Connect, where the Windsor Police Service connects with members of our community. Let's talk. Let's have a conversation. Welcome to 519 Connect. I'm your host, Constable Jamie Ajete Nelson with the Windsor Police Service. And today's episode, we have Colm Holmes, uh, president of the Windsor Pride community. Welcome. Thank you for having me. And today we have a special host, Sergeant Yvonne Wimet of the Windsor Police Service. Welcome. Hello, Jamie and Colm. Thanks for having me. Ah, I like it. We got, we got our radio voices on. <laughs> um, so uh, today's episode... Um, we're here to talk about the Pride community and uh, learn as much as we can and, you know, have a really good conversation on uh, Windsor and Essex County and what it has to offer and uh, just a chance to learn. So I'm, I'm excited. Me too. Me too. Same. Same. You're, I'm you're excited. To this conversation. If you much. do too well on this, yeah. this could be your show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Colm, um, Originally, you're from Ireland. I am, yes. Um, yes. You know, tell me what you remember about home. <laughs> so I, uh, my family immigrated to Canada when I was only a year old. So there's not much memory, obviously, for me as a child. But I did go back several times throughout my childhood. Um, I've been back recently. So it's something I love. My parents still have their very strong Irish accents. Um, we are actually the only ones here in Canada. So... Uh, all our family is still in Ireland and other parts of the world, but mostly Ireland. And so uh, it's it's our home, right? And it's always been home for my parents. So it's a big deal for sure. And I think it's something that kind of permeates in our family, just our Irishness. Oh, that's that's great. Um, you know, usually when people think of immigrants, and they talk about immigrants. They, you know, they usually put a you know a skin toner in. It, but you know, you come from an immigrant family. You know, you had a history that that you brought here and you know it adds to that diversity and that uh that melting pot that Ab- we have abs- in Canada abs- so um that's great uh you know the accents my my parents my mother's Jamaican and my dad's from Ghana so I I love I love their accents and like um sometimes I don't hear them do you ever get that where um you don't hear it and your friends or your family come over do your parents have accent what, what about you yeah so my dad's from Quebec yep so we uh have French in the family very much so my dad has an accent, and sometimes we pick up the the mispronunciation of words. Like we'll put s's when they shouldn't be there, and then s's when they uh, uh, should. So, like when we're like, I gotta grab a pair of sock. Like you forget to to, to put <laughs> yeah. the s. So um, yeah, it's something unique. Um, I actually was first language was French for me. I didn't learn English till I went to a French school. Wow! <laughs> wow. All my peers were my uh, students were all speaking English, so that's where I learned my English. Oh, it's awesome. I, I feel like, uh, you know, English is my first and only language. Uh, you know, my dad speaks his native tongue, uh, Twi, and my mom has a, a thick Jamaican Patois accent. Um, and it wasn't until I was older, everyone's like, you know, that's like, you know, French and Creole. And I was like, oh, and uh, sometimes words, they'll pop out and someone will be like, where are you from? I'm like, uh, Canada. They're like, uh, not the way you say some of the, these words. So it's always cool how we notice those differences. And sometimes we have them, we don't know. And I, I think that's cool. So, uh, Colm, yeah, you're the coordinator of the Windsor Essex housing, uh, connections at, uh, family service in Windsor Essex County. Um, you know, talk about that and how, um, you know, that, that as part of your life and even how it affects the pride community as well. For sure. So, Um, I joined Family Services roughly about eight years ago uh, when they launched into getting into homelessness work. And so it was basically Windsor's first kick at the can at uh, Housing First Intervention, which means 
We look for individuals in our community that are the most vulnerable, that have the longest periods of homelessness, the most severe mental health, um, some severe substance use concerns. And then we attack uh, that issue by going for the individuals that are the most vulnerable. It allows us to have more impact on the entire system because those individuals tend to be the highest system users, right? Mm -hmm. So um, when I started, I was a street outreach worker and uh, I was able to kind of work myself through the program into all different roles. I've done the case management side of things, uh, but I, I did come to the work because I've always just believed in the super vulnerable and really um, advocating and getting to do beneficial work with the, that population is something that I'm you know, passionate and care a, a great deal about. And so um, from there, I've moved into more of a coordinator role. So now I oversee the outreach team and it was a team of one when I started. It's a team of seven and growing now. So um, it's just something really that I really care about. And it's also something to it, that's very rewarding. So being able to get up in the morning, knowing somebody's getting housed, knowing somebody's getting connected to the mental health supports they need, maybe knowing somebody's getting reunited with their family. Uh, there, there's quite some big wins there that we're uh, privileged enough in this work to be able to witness with folks as they make these huge uh, changes in their lives. Can I, can yeah. I ask a question? So what are the biggest barriers for you to, to you know, find these people and then find them a home? Like, what yeah. are your barriers? That- so there's there's several, of course. Um, the main The main thing we're facing locally seems to be the actual just lack of affordable housing, the cost of affordable housing. And so those obviously don't line up with, you know, social service rates for people that are on Ontario Works or people that are receiving Ontario disability support. So um, that's one of the biggest hurdles we deal with. Another one that we really deal with is people's mistrust of the system, right? And so having to re-engage with folks and really explain to them that our services are going to be delivered in a way where they're the ones in charge, they're going to call the shots and we're going to support them. And even when they make decisions that we don't agree with or decisions that have a negative impact on them, their supports are not going to be lost. We're going to continue to be with them. I always used to tell my clients um, this adage that um, they're the captain of the ship and I'm on board. And even if they're making decisions that are going to lead the boat into stormy waters, I'm going to stay on the boat. And what that looked like in real life was people, um, you know, relapsing and losing their housing or even becoming incarcerated. And uh, I'd go visit them at the Southwest Detention Center, right, to make sure that they knew that, you know, there was no ending to this relationship. It was long term, no matter whether things were going really good in their lives or things weren't going so well. And that's one of the really great values of Housing First work that I just really adore. Wow, that's full. That's I like that. Um, you know, you, you continue with your work. Um, I think sometimes those misconceptions, like people have with police officers, even the work you do, they feel like I like when you said, um, you know, when they do make a mistake, it's not like oh, uh, we're throwing you away. Like those, you know, going to Southwest and you know seeing someone and knowing they have that support that relieves just a little bit of stress. And when you talk about barriers, I, I think of that intersectionality where you know mental health, um, housing, affordableness mm-hmm. is is a problem, and to know that um, you know as police officers we hear about these organizations and you know we refer them, and it's good to know that you know you and your team um, are hitting those different levels where sometimes I don't have the answer. They're like, so what if this happens? I'm like, uh, I don't know, and I never want to be like, oh, this is going to happen, and it, it, it's it's good to hear and. Um, you know, how do you get that, uh, that word out there? You know, like you said, it's difficult to get that trust. Um, you know, police officers, we know gaining trust again, especially, um, when usually it's those, those, uh, big stories that kind of direct people the way they think of you. How do you, 
um, you know, get your message across. So it's when it comes to individuals that are experiencing chronic homelessness, when it comes to people that are living outdoors uh, in encampments and type settings like that, they are the best way of disseminating information. So word of mouth amongst the community themselves. So we have to ensure one that we're, we're talking the talk, but we're also walking the walk. And so that means supporting people when they fail, giving people as many chances as they may need, meeting someone exactly where they are. And that just builds this, um, this foundation for trust over time. Some people more so than less. Some people it takes a little longer. Uh, we do have certain types of interventions around kind of like motivational interviewing techniques and things along those lines to start to build trust. And when people go through assessments and I'm teaching new staff, I'm always saying, like, if somebody brings up something that they enjoy during this assessment, make sure you latch on to that. Make sure you really take notice of that. And maybe the next time you see them, you're bringing forward something that they brought back so that they know that not only are you there, but you're listening to them. Because there's always been a power imbalance between, you know, professionals and service users. Well, I'm, I'm really of the, um, the belief that uh, that's very ego-driven, and we couldn't possibly know the people that we're supporting better than they know themselves. So if we let people create their own plans, they're more adept or more um, willing to follow that plan as opposed to, you know, the old kind of scenario of a social worker on one side of the desk and the client on the other telling them what they need to do in order to for their lives to be better. Uh, that doesn't really work. And, and we have the data to show that, right? So Housing First is a, a value-based intervention that puts people at the center, that gives people a lot of opportunities. If someone fails in their tenancy, well, we call them supported fails. We have to pull some lessons from that. We have to see how we can do better next time. Maybe it's, you know, increasing how long somebody stays in housing from one tenancy to the next, uh, increasing how long somebody stays away from any of the justice system, increasing how long somebody stays from being hospitalized due to their mental health. Those are kind of how we measure our um, ability to help folks. But we're always looking at individuals and walking alongside them. We're not pulling anybody and we're not pushing anybody into anything. And that is um, kind of the bread and butter of the program and why people are so willing to, to come on service with us. And then they tell their friends about their great workers. I'm one of a team of, you know, 30 individuals at Family Services that's doing housing work across Windsor-Essex. And every single one of them is here for the right reasons. And that's the really critical piece. Uh, yeah, language is important. Um, you know, how you... You, you say someone's in a certain situation and, and how you approach them. And I like the levels of uh, support that you have. And it, you're right when you say you're not, uh, you know, forcing them to do something. Let them be in charge of their own of their own ship. You know, they steer where they're going. And, you know, we talk about data, being professionals. Um, I always say, we, you know, we have some grassroots information, but let's treat everyone like individuals because everyone's story is... is it, important to them, individual to them. So it might be little aspects here, but, you know, guiding them along the way is just, uh, you know, giving them options. I think options are important. Yeah, and I like how you highlight um, how you help them because I think a lot of us want to help, but we fail to ask how they want to be helped. Absolutely. So our actions have to be informed. So asking somebody what they need is probably the starting point for a conversation. I also wonder, for anybody listening, like, somebody who has a family member or somebody they care about, or me as a police officer, we encounter somebody who's homeless. What advice do you give us on how, to, how do we start this process of finding them a home mm-hmm. and, ta- and providing them housing? So I always ask people um, when I'm talking to community partners, when I'm talking to anyone, by law, anybody, if you're engaging with someone experiencing homelessness, we should be asking them if anybody's helping them with housing. 
it's pretty straightforward and they'll have they'll know they'll be able to tell you oh yeah somebody at h4 down at the former water world um is helping me and they'll have their worker's name and then at least we know someone's working on it right and so then we can encourage them hey make sure you connect with them regularly um but it, it, it centers back to around choice right so Choice is something that is often, you know, not there for people experiencing homelessness, uh, where they're going to go at night or if they go into shelter, when they're going to go to bed, when they're going to wake up, what they're going to eat, uh, when they're going to have access to a shower or a bathroom. Uh, those things are kind of stripped of them, right? So our program is very much centered around choice. And so when I was an outreach worker, I would do something as simple as putting two sets of gloves in front of somebody on the street and saying, which ones do you want? And that was me signaling to them that I believed in their ability to make choice for themselves. And then, of course, as the journey goes on, the the question becomes, where do you want to live, right? And that was really how we start the conversation. Where do you want to live? We'll shoot for the stars, right? If somebody really wants to get out of downtown, they want to be, excuse me, they want to be in the East End. Well, sometimes the market won't won't allow that to happen, but we're going to shoot for the stars initially. And we'll set out a little net and then maybe the net will get wider as we continue to maybe not have success with regards to housing. Um, But we always want to provide people choice because what that is is signaling to them that we believe in their ability to make choice in their own lives. And that is how we get them in the driver's seat. And once they start to feel like they they are the ones in control and they have the power, then we are simply a support on the side that they can reach out to when they don't feel as in control. And it really is about empowering individuals. And that's something that family services uh, does across the board, not just in housing work. Oh, that's right. And knowledge is power and, and uh, choice is, is important. And I like um, with, with choice, you're, you're real with that. Like you said, depending on the market and you talk to, I always say, I want to talk to someone like they're an adult, you know, not talking down to people. And like you said, there's that social worker a client and we're talking down to them. I, I think it's important. Um, you know, we're all humans, but how you talk to someone is, is very important. And um, you know, just because of the way you look and I don't know what you're going on. I, I think and as officers, uh, we, we're getting better at that um, and we need to get better in, in all professions, right? Sometimes sure. people coming in for services, like you, like we said, focus on those grassroots. And I like the, the glove analogy at that and reality that you did. That's, uh, that, that, that is very empowering. Um, so I, I could see why you've been successful and you've made all those moves. Uh, you sound like you're a listener uh, at, at all those levels. So, so that's critical, right? People are starving for someone to properly listen to them, right? And so um, I think that's one of the big pieces around building that trust, building the rapport with people, playing the long game, right? Understanding that if they don't want to give us much, that's okay. Whatever they give us, that's good enough for today. We're not pushing people. A lot of the folks that are experiencing uh, homelessness in our community have some history of trauma, There's something that has happened in their lives that's led them to, you know, maybe their relation with substances. We know we have, you know, kind of a crystal meth epidemic here in our community. It really is a driving force as to why people behave the way they do. And we shift the question around from what's wrong with you to what happened to you. And that really starts to, you know, frame a conversation around not judging their substance use, not stigmatizing the reason why they are or how they behave. And that allows for open and honest dialogue for people. And then they will reach out to me when they want to reduce their substance use. They will reach out to me when they think that there's some, you know, maybe not so safe things happening in their apartment. And that's how we can put preventative measures up. And so then, you know, really at the end of the day, harm reduction strategies, those types of things save people's lives, right? So we are definitely a program that operates through a harm reduction strategy. And uh, we want to ensure that people know that our interest is, is, is their best interest at all times. So I want to ask this I consider you an expert in, in this uh, field. 
So I feel like a lot of us, and I can be guilty of it, is sometimes we only have a single story, a single reason why somebody becomes homeless. Mm-hmm. And um, often it's attached to drug addiction. They're funding their, their addiction, therefore cannot afford housing. Um, can you provide more of a story for us to have, you know, go out again, to have more empathy mm-hmm. um, because it's not just one situation that can cause somebody to homelessness. And I feel like if we understood more mm-hmm. of other people's story, we might have, we can probably grow some more empathy for them. Absolutely. And so one thing I always said was, you know, like homelessness doesn't discriminate. It really doesn't just, you know, it doesn't just impact people that use substances. It doesn't just impact people with severe mental health. It can be a family breakdown. It can be a relationship breakdown. It can be the loss of a job. It can be moving to a new community and not being able to afford, you know, first and last. It can be in a, a, like an array of things. And sometimes it's a combination of those reasons, right? So I think understanding that you're right. There, there is, there's detriment into the power of one story. And we can look at that when we talk about any social ill, when we look at racism, we look at any of those things. One story is not good enough, and unfortunately what we do as people when we hear the one story is we kind of extrapolate it, right, to everyone and think it just applies across the board. And I listened to uh, a TED Talk, and this individual, uh, she was talking about basically how, you know, she was from Africa, and there was a, there was um, there was a story when she first arrived in the U.S., and basically everybody around her just believed that she would have some sort of connection to that story and, and how unhealthy that is for us to believe, as especially if we're anti-racism advocates, right? Like, we need to be a little bit more on top of those things. And so when it comes to homelessness, it's really about understanding that each person is someone, right? They have some family out there, maybe a group of friends. They have community. There isn't no re- There isn't a reason why the people that we have on our services should be any less valued than the rest of our community, right? And yeah, maybe the barriers they're facing with regards to being able to um, really thrive in their lives are pretty severe, and maybe it'll take a little bit longer of a time. And that's actually the beauty in Windsor-Essex Housing Connections is we only graduate people with evidence. So uh, it says up to three years for how long we'll support people, but there is no, there's no end date. So some people are four years, some people are five. It really depends on how many tenancies, how well are you using this intervention for yourself. Um, And then we sometimes have to convince people that they've done so well in their lives that they're okay to let go of service. And the reason why we're having to convince them is because they've formed such good bonds with the workers. Mm -hmm. Being around somebody for five years, checking on you weekly, you're going to form a partnership, right? And so sometimes we have to let them know that they've done great enough. And that's something sometimes they've never heard before, right? There's people I've supported that no one ever told them that they were a good person. Right. Mm. And that's that's can be tough. And if you're and if you think about even just being in the streets um, with your sign sitting down, um, people won't even give you eye contact. You could go weeks without anybody even talking out loud to you. And that has an overall effect on your wellness, your mental health, how you feel about yourself, your confidence. And so it's really important to just understand that we really don't know what's going on in people's minds. And even as professionals. Right. If you're seeing somebody for an hour a week, how much of their life are you really getting? right? Not very much, just a blip. And so really valuing that hour and really taking that hour as a privilege and also really looking at if they're willing to share their trauma and they're willing to dig into those things, that that's an honor for us as professionals to be able to share in that. So how do you manage when, so you see somebody with a sign on the side of the street or at an intersection, you as Coleman work in this environment, how do you, what interaction or do you have interaction with them when 
these situations? For sure. So for sure. So typically, you know, I'm, I'm a heart led individual. So I always I want to help everyone, but it's not sustainable for me. Um, so what I what I ensure to do is to make sure they're connected in some way, shape or form. So now I have a team that I can, you know, dispatch to go out there and connect with them in, in the moment. Uh, we basically are out there from 8.30 a.m. till 9 p.m. at night, every Monday through Friday. Um, and then, of course, if it's in the weekend, I would direct them to the homelessness hub uh, just to try and get them connected to some services. But then I'm always trying to see if they'll give me a first name, if they'll give me anything so that I can do some follow-up too. Because as we mentioned, these individuals, they won't have a phone. They won't have an address. So connecting with them or doing any type of follow-up can be difficult. And so that's where outreach comes into a really good you know, as a good, a good tool to utilize is to search places, to look for people, uh, to be doing routes in the downtown core, to be checking in encampments, to really make sure that the people that we are supporting um, are doing okay. And then, of course, when weather's really bad, that urgency gets even higher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, now, how do us as a, a police service, how do we assist? Because, you know, I, I, as officers, I'm the downtown liaison officer, and I, I come across someone um, – I'm sure you have a lot of connections and services and you talk about your outreach. You know, I I see this happening in front of me. You know, what's the best route for an officer to do to um, assist in that? Because the uniform is daunting. Um, And sometimes like language is important. I don't want to go, hey, what are you doing here? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, what's the best way I can approach and um, who should I contact or, or, you know, what should we do? No, for sure. And so uh, there's actually been a, like a long standing relationship between Windsor Police Services and Family Services around how we can support folks experiencing homelessness um, in a different type of way. And so uh, typically anyone experiencing homelessness in our community, if anybody sees that, they can call 311 right away. 311 will send a report to us and we'll get somebody out there as quickly as possible. Uh, We know that time is of the essence because they might move along. And so that's a really critical way. There's also an email that's as simple as just or at fsw.ca. And that goes out to the whole team saying a little bit of a descriptor, maybe, you know, gentleman with a red coat is, you know, tucked in a doorway here. And then we'll get somebody out there right away. So we know that uh, sometimes, of course, if, if people are actually committing crime, it's a different story. But if it's just existing, that we are we are pretty much the right initial contact, right? We'll make sure to do a nice little assessment around who's helping you, what is it that you need help with. We can also help them meet some basic needs, make sure they have some boots on their feet, some of those things that are really critical depending on our weather elements. Um, but it is important for people to recognize that there is a response system here in our community and 311 or OR at fsw.ca are really great avenues to ensure that the people in our community are taken care of. Oh, that's great. I I love uh, the talk about community because um, it envelops a, a lot, um, you know, from all over. Uh, and it, it's important that we talk about it. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to switch gears and, you know, you're the president of the Windsor Pride community and, you know, that's part of our community as well. And, uh, uh, you know, we can't give the full history, but just, you know, just talk about, you know, how you came involved and, uh, you know, what it envelops and, you know, what, what are, what do we need to know as, as, as a community who don't know? Yeah, absolutely. So I am a University of Windsor graduate. Um, I was raised in Amherstburg and when I um, graduated, I was looking for work and, excuse me, i had only recently came out of the closet. So, um, at that point, I thought, you know, I'm going to dive right into some work, some community work. And so I was able to get employment at, at the time, it was the AIDS Committee of Windsor. It's now, consi- or now called Positive Pathways. 
And uh, I was able to do some gay men's work there. I also did some harm reduction work there where I really learned around how to properly support our vulnerable populations in our community. And then I thought, you know what, I could join the board of Windsor Pride. And it's like a four-year commitment, and now I think we're at like 11 years, and I haven't looked back. So <laughs> it's, it's, what you do. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, it's something I'm very passionate about. And there's, there's a lot of intersection between working in homelessness and, of course, the LGBTQ plus population. So we're overrepresented in those experiences. And so any chance I can get to advocate for, you know, more services, more support for any members of our community, um, I'm going to do so. And I think the other piece, too, is understanding that um, the services that we, we are trying to get for our folks, sometimes they take time, but somebody has to be there kind of keeping that on the, the, the docket, as we could say, right? So uh, those are really critical pieces. So then once I joined the board, you know, we've had different itera- uh, iterations of where we existed, but we've always kind of had some of the same kind of array of services. And now we've, we've, we've actually grown a little bit since the pandemic. So we continue to increase what we can do for folks, uh, get them connected to counseling if they're in distress, uh, get them uh, into some groups. We now have just started a substance use program collaboration. There's been a lot of things that have happened over the last 12 months or so. And so uh, we just continue to expand services, uh, do whatever we can. For, for our community, and that's a big deal to me, right? Ensuring that someone is out there uh, trying to uh, at least advance things for our community in some way, shape, or form. So you so you work with um, vulnerable groups, um, and you said there's a we're they're overrepresented in these groups. Um, can you attribute that to anything or? Yeah, there, there's there's definitely certain dynamics, and it can be the simpleness of not being supported in your home, right? And, and then if you're a youth, the tendency to leave home when your your gender identity or even your sexual orientation are not respected or are actually shunned, and so it can be really tough on in the developing years of a youth to be in a household that's not supportive of them, and so a lot of times people will leave those households and then they become somebody that doesn't have somewhere to live. Maybe they couch surf for a little while, then they enter shelter system. It really obviously is unique to each individual. Um, there's there's a combination of reasons. It's also harder for individuals in our community um, to get uh, employment, sometimes to get housing. There's discrimination that comes into play. Some, you know, landlords don't want to rent to a same-sex couple, don't want to rent to a transgender individual. The same thing with employment discrimination. Sometimes people don't want to hire somebody that doesn't necessarily fit into the male or female box that they're looking to check. So um, non-binary folks have, you know, a tackle when they're trying to get hired locally for employment. When we look at actual research, um, our our community is educated at a far r- higher rate than we are employed with regards to uh, wage compensation. So there's a huge discrepancy there around how educated we are as a community and how much wage we're making in comparison to the general population. And so it sometimes it's fear for people. They're just unsure how would we support an LGBTQ person on our staff or how would we take them into our apartment building and what if it you know impacted other residents in the apartment building? Um, Fortunately, we are protected, right? Yeah. There's a human rights code. Yeah. And so um, I think sometimes people don't aren't fully aware of what their rights are. And also sometimes people aren't fully willing to go through a huge, you know, uh, with the human rights, go through a huge, you know, commission in order to figure out uh, where discrimination happened or where they could be in somewhat, shape or form compensated for the discrimination they faced. Uh, but there is, there's a myriad of reasons why uh, we're overrepresented. Substance use as well is something that, 
we have a higher rate. Our community uses that two to four times higher than the general population. And some of that is historically embedded in our culture, right? We have to think about uh, homosexuality was illegal, right? And so our community was relegated to, you know, hiding ourselves. And that meant in, in, in bars, that meant in, in spaces where uh, escape was something we wanted to do. And so not only was bar settings, but drug use became very, you know, embedded in our culture. And it's still very much there today. And there's all sorts of reasons why our community has the relationship it has with substances. But historically, um, the elevated rates were part of culture. We just saw it as, you know, gay culture has, you know, substance use as part of it. And it wasn't something that anybody ever examined. And now, fortunately, as I mentioned, there is actually a response in Windsor-Essex specific to the 2SLGBTQ community around substance use, which is something that I'm very proud of. I'm very happy that our community has had family services as well as Windsor Family Health Team stepped up in collaboration with Windsor Pride to formulate um, an outpatient program that already existed, but tailoring it so that it actually explored people's gender identity, explored people's sexual orientation, and and how that impacted their relation with substances. And so it was something that never happened before. It's really great to have now. If our community goes into a you know general population recovery program, there is no space for that. And so it doesn't that doesn't really help when it when we're looking at recovery. If we're kind of, you know, putting a piece of ourselves at the door and then entering, that doesn't really help us look at the real issues and why maybe we use more than we should. Oh yeah. I, I, I hear inclusion in there, how it's important. Um you know, representation is important, and um, sometimes we, we take those things for granted. We think if it's happening in one area, it's happening in all areas. Um, and, and it's good to see that Windsor-Essex is, um, I don't know if we're leading, but I, I feel like, um, you know, they're taking a real look at what's happening in the community, and um, it, it's good to see that, uh, you know, that support is there. And, um, you know, a lot of times when people think of pride, they just think of events and they don't think about the stuff happening behind the scenes. You know, the events are there to celebrate, um, you know, fundraise and things and bring awareness. Um, but, but it's good to see, um, you know, those events giving back. And, you know, can you talk about some of those events that, um, you know, Windsor's known for and some that they're not so known for and, yeah. and you know, how, how we can get involved? Absolutely. So um, we do have two organizations. There's Windsor-Essex Pride Fest, and then there's Windsor Pride Community. So Windsor-Essex Pride Fest does a little bit more of the social pieces. They do have programming. They do have an array of services. We are collaborative partners on uh, an Ontario Trimlium grant. So we do have a lot of cross-sections. We do support each other. Um, they are definitely a major, major supporter of Windsor Pride community. And so the Windsor-Essex Pride Fest that takes place here in Windsor every August is huge. It really is, you know, for our community, for the size that it is, um, something about, like, it's a feather in the cap of Windsor-Essex, to, to say the least. And so the other types of things that we have in Windsor that you don't see other places, we have a standalone transgender-serving organization, right? Trans Wellness Ontario is not something that every community has. And I think some trans individuals that are existing in rural Ontario would you know really love to have something like we have here in Windsor then you can look at you know the run for Rocky that exists here locally think about the amount of support that we are trying to ensure is getting into our school systems for young youth that may think that there is something wrong with them or may think that you know society doesn't feel like they should fit in and so it's very critical. The campanas are trailblazers in our communities have continuously supported uh, Windsor Pride community in a really you know, effective and successful way. And so that has also allowed for youth to not only 
have support in their gay straight alliances in schools, but to leave lasting impact. And so some of the things that have come from Run for Rocky funding that youth can apply for are, you know, um, some rainbow lockers in a high school hallway, some books in the library that are specific to LGBTQ content, um, having days where they, you know, sell some pins, having um, some chairs or, or, or um, picnic tables painted rainbow in just presence, right? Because because people only go to high school for so many years and then they move on. And so what youth are doing in the high schools over the last couple of years is going to have impact for generations. It's really going to send the message to individuals that, yeah, we are flying a flag in front of our school. Yeah, the school boards here locally are supporting the LGBTQ um students in their staff so we are we are actually across the board within windsor essex county district school board there is a gsa in every high school which is another really amazing thing for our community so there definitely is things that windsor essex is far ahead of other communities that are similar to us um and i think that that's something that we need to leverage right and so i'm consistently telling people you know we set the tone um the run for rocky also provided opportunity for youth to be able to travel across canada uh, to go to GSA national conferences. And every time I was, you know, uh, an individual that was attending with these youth, um, we had the largest delegation. We always had the most people there. And that was because Run for Rocky funds could get kids there, right? And so that's a tangible piece. We also have this Q-Link partnership, which is Family Services, Windsor-Essex Pride Fest, and Windsor Pride. And that is support. So um, there's drop-in groups for different age groups, and then there's also uh, the family and friends side of things too. So if somebody was struggling as a family member with somebody's journey, uh, we have counseling available for them. Um, there, there's numerous things that we do. Diversity training is something that's a really big deal for us as well. Getting out there and educating businesses, educating municipalities, educating workforces on how to support people within their own employees, as well as you know, their, their service users, whatever it may be. Wow. That's a lot. Uh, that's great. Um, you know, run for Rocky coach, uh, Campania, he was my basketball coach in high school. And, uh, you know, it, it's, I'm not surprised that, um, you know, he's able to, uh, garner that support from people, um, you know, with his strength. Um, I'm a six, two, basketball player and he's not so big but you know he instilled some things in me from just his presence alone and how he talks to people and you know I, I'm happy to hear that you know he's supporting that community um and for the reason that that he does and uh that that's big and like you said making Windsor Trailblazers and um I feel like you're gonna have some more housing issues after people find out what's <laughs> happening here with with that support it's, yeah, it's very true, right? But at the same time, I think one of the things that we don't do good enough in Windsor, or we don't do well enough, my apologies, um, is is to talk about our successes, mm. right? I would find myself in Toronto uh, having you know these in depth conversations with people, and they'd be like, "What is it with you in Windsor? How come I've never heard anybody talk so well about Windsor?" And I said, "Well, we got to get better at it because there are a lot of really great things." Diversity being one of our, our literally gems that we have in our community. We are one of the most diverse places in this country. Right. So that is something we need to leverage as a community because there's so much benefit to that. Yeah. We don't need to be humble anymore. No, you know? absolutely. When we talk about all the time, you know, we're, we're in the job of recruiting, getting people and I'm like, we want to know why you're great. And, um, I, I think it's that, that humbleness that we're all raised with, but you know, we should be out there, you know, loud and proud and on the things we're, we're doing in the community. It's, uh, it needs to be said. Yeah. Especially there are things we're doing well, like you said, mm-hmm. and take pride in it. Yeah. Um, and the more you, I, I feel like you have conversations, it just starts conversation, 
it has an impact whether you're sharing stories that people haven't heard. Um, and really, obviously, the uh, LGBTQ2S community is dear to me. Um, and it's a resource that I feel that people who don't have my story need it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to help them because that's not my story. And so to know that other people are, or we have agencies that are helping people who do, don't have my experience, have a family, a community that they can lean on. Um, again, these things will bring a better community within Windsor Police. We'll have better experiences with one another. And you'll see them working as a teacher, at your grocery store, police officer, yep. you know, doctors. So it's, it's a cool thing to have, like, support for those in our in our community that may not have had it so i do want to say thank you for all the work that you do for our vulnerable individuals thank you i appreciate that and i want to make sure that uh you know i'm the one here in front of the microphone but i'm i don't stand alone in any way shape or form right there is a, a like such a vibrant lgbtq2s community here in windsor essex it is actually something that i can't tell enough people about Right. People have come from Toronto here to relocate it. And I'd showed them around as, you know, the president of pride and taught them about what this and that. And, and even, you know, tell them, you know, do people hold hands in public? And I was like, absolutely they do. Right. Like this is totally a community that we can be ourselves in. And so, um, there is a great deal of people that, you know, formulated Windsor pride that are still active in the community doing really great work, um, that have put the actual stepping stones down for me to even be able to walk, right? So um, I'm very, very fortunate um, to be able to call those people my friends now, and they really have, you know, taught me everything I know and put me in a position where I can have impact, where I can, you know, advocate for the vulnerable populations, ensure that transgender issues are staying on the forefront for people, ensure that people are talking about the intersectional identities of our folks, right? So it's not just the LGBTQ uh, plus identity of our individuals, but it's also their race. It's also their abilities. It's also, you know, um, their experiences and their status here in Canada. Like those are really important things that people sometimes don't really think about. They think, oh, it's just another story about the LGBTQ community. Well, the LGBTQ community is everywhere, mm-hmm. all over the place. And we are in all different types of communities with all sorts of different intrinsic um, identities. Mm-hmm. And when you say it's just another story, Globally, yes, we've heard these stories, but to this person, this individual, it is a special story to them. So it has a huge impact. And we got to remember, we're talking about a person's experience and to, to, to look at it and go at it with empathy and sympathy. Um, and you could tell with the work that you do, it comes across, you have, you, there's a purpose in what you're doing. That you take the time to honor your contract of you have an ally, I will be there when you need me and when you don't need me. I'm still there when, when you're ready. So to go to the, to the Southwest Detention Center and have th- those conversations, that stuff means, and I think that's the stuff that shifts things. It's those extra little things that you can't teach somebody mm-hmm. to do um, that actually has a huge ripple effect on, on people. So that's so cool to hear. Big time, yeah. Anytime I went into any type of social service uh, with a client, I always refer to the client as a friend. Yeah. And uh, I know that that was a part of bonding. I know it was, right? So just somebody being referred to as a friend, I think sometimes was even shocking to them, 
Mm-hmm. And then when I would be showing up at Southwest Detention, they'd be telling the jail guard, there's my friend, there's my friend, yeah. here he is. Yeah. And, and, and and you know, even the jail guard would say to me, you know what, that guy hasn't been here for six months. Well, something you're doing is working, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. he used to come every 30 days, <laughs> right? Yeah. So so it's about putting those gaps and giving people a chance, right? And that's the main thing. And I'm guessing that they've had, they've probably been let down many times in their life. So again, to bring him back into the fold of society and, and having a, a a good life is to teach him not everybody's like this. And I'm going to show you that I'm the person who is not going to disappoint you. Um, so you have to undo that damage, that trauma that they experience. Um, so I, but I understand that that requires a lot of thinking. Mm-hmm. Like it's not something you shut off when you go home. For sure. Like so, for it's, sure. it's I understand the the. The nuances of yeah, that. no, for yeah. sure, right? We'll we'll I'll, I'll think all week about if one of my staff is getting somebody housed. We put a bell on the wall in our office. That bell gets rang when someone gets housing. Like we're not underestimating the work we're doing, mm-hmm. right? We're helping an individual make a huge change in their lives, and then we get to witness it, mm-hmm. right? So yes, we're the professional in the dynamic, but at the end of the day, we're really just someone to support them, mm-hmm. um, so that they can achieve these things that they're setting out to do. But I'm always constantly cheerleading the team because the work can get very tough. Yes, yeah. People can be really frustrating when they're failing over and over again. Mm-hmm. Well, the people that are you know part of my team, they have to be comfortable in that. And that's how you get really effective at this work is, is we really emphasize the wins and we talk about how we can move forward from the losses. But really treating losses as something that we can, we can pull from. We're a strength-based you know, program. So even when so much is going wrong for an individual – we have to find something in there that they're even just they're existing through all this pain is something of a strength, right? So resiliency, yeah. ensuring people are being told that they are strong is, is very effective. People do not get affirmative things said to them often enough when they're in a way where society doesn't see them as equal, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I say that to my spouse a lot. <laughs> uh, who do you want to attract to your, your the job? Like what kind of person are you looking for that could do this job very well? So it's definitely value-based. Yeah. We definitely look at some professional standards, some of the stuff, but individuals with any background, any discipline could, could apply. Um, but in general, we're looking at people that are connected to values, that really understand the ability to have empathy, that understand that people need more than one chance, mm-hmm. that people aren't going to live up to the standards we may have, right? That, that it's important to really check your bias at the door. Right. And, and meet people exactly where they're at, mm-hmm. whether we agree with what they're doing or we don't, they have the dignity and they have the, they deserve for us to put some plans together around prevention, for us to put some plans together around safety. Those are things that can really send a signal to somebody that you care about their well-being. And it's awesome. I think when you, you put at the forefront values, that's where you get the best people applying. Like academics is important. Training is important. Education is very important. Um, but the value part is something that w- will make you successful mm-hmm. in these communications and relationships you have with individuals. Yeah, that's right there. What you talked about in in uh, in your career path and what you look for in your uh, employees or people coming to your organization—that's the same thing. Yvonne and I talk about what makes you know our police service better, and I think that's in any mm-hmm. uh, career you do because, like you said. Um, they are community and they're living in all aspects of the community. So we need that empathy. We need those values. We need that, that caring and, and compassion about not only your community, but other communities as well. And I like, we talk about resiliency. We're going to deal with some people who are, they need to bounce back a lot before they get to where they need. But you know, there's, there's, there's not a time frame. 
on things. You know, sometimes people are like, it has to be done by this date. And you, you said sometimes three years, five years, whatever. So letting people know they have the capabilities to be successful in a way that is success to them and not my success. Absolutely. You know, that's, I think that's very important. And, you know, I encourage people to, if they can volunteer um, and get a, a look into that, because that's how you, you know you're passionate about something and that's how you learn. And I think learning is the biggest thing if, if what we're talking about here is learning about each other. For sure. Right. And, and I'm always quick to tell people like a healthier Windsor Essex is to benefit of every single person in our community. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe homelessness is not your cup of tea. Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe it isn't something that you're so passionate about like myself. <laughs> but but and that's OK. I'm not asking everybody to jump on the column train. Right. <laughs> but I'm asking people to have compassion and yeah. empathy for the folks in our community because they do deserve respect. They do deserve dignity. And I think um, it's very critical for people to understand the connection points around like, you know, your tax dollars and these things, they are all connected. And if you don't think that supporting the people in our community that are the most vulnerable has benefit to everyone, well, you're unfortunately mistaken Mm -hmm. because those social determinants of health, the way that our resources happen for emergency services, the people we're supporting, they're high flyers. They're connecting with police. They're connecting with hospital, the fire, EMS all the time, right? And so at Family Services, we do the work because we believe housing is a human right. We believe everybody deserves it. Right. But when it comes to ensuring that the federal government and the provincial government will fund our positions, they need obviously the case around finance. And we can show them that that there's huge reductions in the amount of um, emergency response systems that our people are using because of the fact that they're engaged with an intensive case manager. They're getting supported and maybe they have an apartment that they can call home and go to at the end of the night and not have to be in the streets, maybe not having to, um, you know, figure out what survival looks like. So you see affordable housing. So are, are you having to find homes for, for uh, these individuals with what we have? Or is the government, provincial or federal, looking to build housing for the homeless? Yeah, that's a good question. So there's yeah. a combination. So it's everybody's responsibility to tackle affordable housing in their municipalities. Um, of course, on the Ontario government has just put some investment in Windsor locally. There is some Meadowbrook um, construction happening. Family Services is a nonprofit built some housing. Right. So it's actually just down the street from where we are right now. Uh, they, you know, so some some housing and it was, you know, unorthodox types of housing. So building out of shipping containers, yeah. uh, oh, yeah. collab, collaborating with other partners like our central housing registry or our center or community housing corporation. And uh, and, and that's another project that's going to come online really soon. Uh, the other response um, to the question is, is that sometimes our people are supplemented. So they'll receive a portion of of money that goes directly to the landlord and that will help them be able to actually afford the apartment. Then other people will go into social housing that's based on the amount of money that they get every month. So it's geared to their income, Mm -hmm. right? So we have to look at all options. Like I will explore any housing option for any person any Mm -hmm. day, right? Because it could be the end of a nightmare. Homelessness is a nightmare. It's not something that people enjoy. So if I understand, you're saying that we we have individuals in Windsor, probably Canada, that work say, full-time employment, yet cannot afford housing. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Really? Yeah, so, I mean, if you all you have to do is look at the price of a two-bedroom, three-bedroom online oh, yep. in Windsor right now, and, and it is, it's it's an astronomical how expensive it is, right? So obviously the pandemic didn't help things mm-hmm. because landlords weren't able to move people out of units, mm-hmm. right? And so what that meant was, well, how do I get people out quickly? Well, that'll be once... Um, the pandemic ended, it started to be, you know, every landlord across Windsor-Essex is renovating their units. So that's in a way of getting people out. And then, of course, when the new person comes in, you can 
Charge what you want. You can increase the rent. Well, it sounds like we have a market because the housing market has gone up <laughs> big time in Windsor. Yeah, of course. So now you, it sounds like you have landlords who are seeing dollars that if they evict or mm-hmm. cause reason for their tenants to leave, they can actually start charging people more. Yeah, and I, and I don't want to say, you know, that that's across the board, all landlords. We have some amazing landlords that we work with that are in our program that actually believe in the value piece, that actually believe in um, the ability for individuals that have experienced long periods of homelessness to make change in their lives and be a valued tenant in their buildings. And so I always say to a landlord, I can't promise you that the tenancy will be problem free, but I can promise you that we will be responsive. And that is kind of like my little bit of a guarantee, right? That we're going to, the second I find out an issue is happening, if I can get a worker there as soon as possible, I'm going to, right? And if it's the next business day, it's the next business day, but we're going to be responsive. And that is something that, you know, a landlord can't get with their other tenancies. If the person doesn't have support, and issues arise, there's nobody to call, right? So, yeah. so it, it's something about selling our program as well. That there's gonna, there's a whole team behind these individuals, and they might get one caseworker, but their file is getting brought up several times a week in front of a whole group of people. So everybody on the whole team knows exactly what's going on with John A and John D. You know what I mean? Like they know what's happening. So they're important pieces for us. And then what we do is we take that back to the client. And say, oh, yeah, I was talking with my team, and they were saying that maybe we should try this. Or I was talking to my team, they all wanted to say congratulations on your new place, right? We'll all sign a card, ensure that somebody is really recognizing, because it can be daunting to go from a life of in the streets, go from a life in shelters, into an apartment where you may be isolated, you're unsure even how to, you know, cook breakfast, right? Those things are very important for us to give people the chance to succeed, and there's also no way of predicting. There's no way of predicting the people in our streets, whether they'll be successful or they won't. And more often than not, the people that people think won't be successful, they really utilize the program to their benefit. So it, it's quite nice to see people like, you'll never be able to live independently. And then I, you know, we go and knock on the door and the guy's place is spotless. He's got, you know, some stuff going on a pan in the oven. He's totally doing his thing. So it's really about allowing people that like space to be able to 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 shock the world, as we'll say, right? But but I got out of the business of predictions real early on because I recognized there was no indicators. People just need a chance, give them as many as they need, and watch them prove you wrong. Wow. Mm-hmm. Support is where it's at. You For know, sure. Offer it. For uh, sure. Give choices, mm-hmm. um, and you know it's a whole community uh, working together. Um, you know, from the federal right down to uh, municipal. I, I think we are in a place where I, I'm glad you came on because I know more uh, about those supports that we have. And, you know, we're always working, especially in the in the pride community as well. Um, you know, as Yvonne has said to me before, the youth are our future. And to, to hear that you're, you're in the schools and allowing for that space when I remember being a teenager and it was tough. And I could imagine, you know, going through those things, having those supports from the board yeah. um, and from the community and, um, you know, hopefully more from the, you know, the Windsor police, you know, we're, we're trying to be better and we need to be better for our community. And I'm, I'm glad that um, I wish, I hope we can call you an ally in, in, in that aspect. Uh, I know Yvonne does, um, you know, you, you two joke around and, uh, you know, I, think friends. I, don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to go there for yet. Sure, yeah. For but, sure. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on today. Colin. Thank you um, so much. And if, you know, um, where can everyone go to, to learn more, uh, to support more, and, uh, you know, like you said, be at that feather in our cap come, come August or even just throughout the whole year. Yeah, for sure. So um, windsorpride.com is our website. Uh, we also have QLink, 
which is Q-L-I-N-K-W-E.ca, and that'll have all our programming, calendars for people that are seeking out supports. Uh, and then, of course, FamilyServicesWindsorEssex.com uh, as well is um, the website for Family Services, and that would have an array of our supports as well because, of course, I'm in the housing department, but Family Services does a lot of work across the community. Awesome. There it is, 519-CONNECT. Yvonne, Colm, Jamie, Ajete Nelson. Uh, you can get us on uh, all the platforms. And I thank you for being here with us today. Thank you. Thanks for having us.